Now, it has been said that every face has a name, and every name has a story. So then, what's your story? What's your story? Are you proud of your story, or are you ashamed of it? Have you ever told your story? Will you ever tell it? Have you even invited God to use your story for his glory and for his honor? Now, every Jesus follower has a story. And as we are going to see from Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 to 3, um, these three women that we are going to encounter in our text, they had a story. Soon afterward, Luke tells us, he, meaning Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Every story begins with a past, yours and mine. Now, included among those who were disciples of Jesus Christ were three women, and each of them had a particular story, a story that began with a past. Now take Mary, for example. She was called Magdalene, not because that was her surname, but because she was from a thriving fishing village called Magdala. Now we don't need to wade into the controversies surrounding Mary. There is zero biblical evidence that she was a prostitute, as some claim, or that she was, in fact, the wife of Jesus with whom she had several children, as the Da Vinci Code seems to claim. What the scriptures make very, very clear concerning Mary is that she had a story that involved demon possession. She once had not one, not two, but seven demons inside her. Imagine that, seven demons. Now, I would have liked for Luke to tell us how these seven demons got inside Mary. I, I would just have loved the details on that. I would love for him to have told us just what her life was like under the oppression of demons, but he doesn't tell us any of that. However, from what we know of people who have, in fact, been possessed by and oppressed by demons, we can only imagine the torment that this poor woman must have lived under. Now, about five years ago, a pastoral colleague of mine asked me to accompany him to an exorcism. A young man in his congregation um, was, in fact, on the demon possession. And some people, some professors actually from Liberty University, who were trained in deliverance ministries, they were going to perform this exorcism. 
And so prior to going into this room, all of us prayed for spiritual protection. Now, I had never experienced anything quite like what I experienced inside that room. The facial expressions, the body contortions, the, the different tones of voice, uh, guttery voices that were coming out of this young man. I had never experienced anything like that for the 45 minutes that we were there. The spirit world is real. Spirit world is real, and you don't want to be possessed by a demon, much less seven of them. Now, the second woman in our text is Joanna. We're told that she was the wife of King Herod's chief steward. What we can conclude by that, however, is that she was, well, not however, what we can conclude by that is that she was a woman of means. She had connections. She moved in the world of privilege. Susanna is the third woman in our story. She too was a woman of means. What we find is that all three women, Mary, Susanna, and Joanna, they were all connected by one story, the same story. They carried around in their body some unnamed physical There are people who, unfortunately, are every bit under the possession of demonic spirits, as these three women were. And even if our past doesn't involve demon possession, there's not one of us who can say that we have not had a past that involved some sin or another. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory so that there is common ground there. We have all come from sin. We all have a past and it wasn't pretty. Listen to this one paragraph from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to a church in Corinth way back in the first century. And as I read this paragraph, what I want to ask you to do is to take note of anything in this paragraph that applies to your past. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, Paul writing, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. Now, this is not an, an exhaustive list by any means. It doesn't include, for example, murder or abortion or pornography or alcoholism or drug addiction. It doesn't include any of that. This is a list only of things that we have done. It doesn't include things that have been done to us. Interesting. Like, for example physical and or sexual abuse and emotional abuse. It doesn't include any of that. 
But all of that forms a part of our past, some of us. We all have a story that began with a past. However, which brings us to a second point, we can be defined not by our past, but by our present. These three women's stories teach us that we need not be defined by our past. Because you see, something happened to these three women. And what happened to them was Jesus. Jesus happened to them. They heard Jesus preaching news about the kingdom of God. And Jesus was what happened to them. And so Luke tells us that Jesus went about proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. They heard what Jesus was preaching. He was preaching news about the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They heard that people could become citizens of this kingdom of righteousness that, God, that Jesus was preaching about. And the way that they were going to become citizens of this kingdom was by repenting or turning away from their sins and turning to God by accepting Jesus Christ. They heard Jesus preach that he had come to earth to go to a cross to lay down his life so that people might be forgiven of their sins. Now, they not only heard this news, but they gave very careful attention to it. In fact, they even received this news. And as a result of that, their lives were radically transformed. And so Mary Magdalene was the first whose life was transformed. In fact, she was so impacted by this good news about the kingdom of God that she allowed Jesus to cast seven demons out of her. I don't know what that was like. I don't know if that was anything like the young man whom I told you about earlier. But Jesus cast these seven demons out of Mary Magdalene and set her free. Can you imagine the freedom that she had? Can you imagine the freedom she experienced? Now, we also healed Joanna and Susanna of evil spirits and infirmities. We're not told specifically what that was like for them, but he healed them. He washed them all from their past so that it no longer defined them. The same way that he washes us from our past so that it no longer defines us. I have a past. I have a past. A dad who was an alcoholic. Several of my siblings became alcoholics. He was an adulterer. Several of my siblings followed his example. We all have a past. But thankfully, we, no, we need not be defined by our past because Jesus washes us from our past. He sets us free. Now, here's how Paul ends the passage that I read from earlier, that passage that spoke to our past and the infirmities and the things that were listed on our past. Paul ends it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Remember that he had given us this long list and then he told us some of you were just like that. But he didn't end there. This is how he now ends it. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, I don't want to rush past these three terms that the Apostle Paul uses in this text because they are key to us understanding how God changes the trajectory of our lives. So let's unpack these three terms that Paul uses in these two lines. I want us to note, first of all, and I have a knack for the English language. Um, my wife was talking about that to our class this morning. I really do. Now these, it may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me what I'm going to say now. Because these, these verses are all in the passive voice. What that means is, something, they talk about something that was done to you. On your behalf, for you. You couldn't do it yourself, so it was done to you. Secondly, they use a tense called the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T, which means that Paul is going to tell us about something that happened in the past, but it has continuing results. The implications of it are continuing. And so first of all, he says this, you were washed. In other words, you couldn't do it for yourself, so it was done to you or for you. What it means is that Jesus' blood that we sang about so eloquently this morning, it washes us. It washes away our past. So that we are no longer identified by or defined by our past because there's no trace of it. Jesus' blood washes us whiter than snow. And so this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 teaches us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has passed away because the new has come. Jesus has washed away our past so that it no longer defines us. In fact, in Christ's economy, there is no trace of our past. I'm so happy and glad for that. Secondly, Paul says, you were Sanctified. Notice again, it is something that was done to you. It was done in the past, but its results are continuing. And so the moment that we allowed Jesus to come into our lives and convert us or to save us, the Holy Spirit began a work in us that we call sanctification. And in this process, what the Holy Spirit is doing with our cooperation is that he's removing things from our lives that are offensive to God. He's conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. Paul alludes to this work of sanctification by this prayer that he makes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Paul prays this on behalf of the church at Thessalonica. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, completely. And as if we wouldn't understand that, Paul goes on to, to make some specifics on that by saying this, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, which is what sanctification means. The Holy Spirit is working inside me and inside you to make our whole spirit and soul and body blameless before Christ. So you were sanctified. God did it for you, but it has continuing implications. Thirdly, Paul says you were 
justified. Again, this is something that God does for you because, you see, righteousness is something that is never earned. It must be imputed or it must be imparted to you. Somebody needs to make you and declare you righteous, which is what God does. The Bible tells us that we have become the righteousness of God. And so these three women, they had a past, which Jesus changed into the present. And we who are followers of Christ, we have a past, which also need not define us, but can be transformed into something different so that we are defined now by our present, which brings us to a final point. That our future must be marked by using our means to serve. Our future must be marked by us using our means to serve. Luke tells us that these three women provided for them, for Jesus and his disciples, out of their means, out of their possessions. Now I find that there are some people who allow themselves to be so crippled by their past that they cannot make any contribution by way of serving. I find that there are a lot of Christians as well who are just like that. We allow ourselves to be so crippled by the past that we have had that we think we can't really contribute anything meaningful in terms of serving Christ. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. I want to say to us this morning that through Jesus Christ, we can rise above our past and we can realize that we still have something to contribute to the kingdom by way of serving. God wants us to leverage our past so that we can have a platform from which to serve him in a higher way. And so those in our midst this morning, I may very well be speaking to some, those who were alcoholics or those who beat alcoholism and drug addiction, they can become advocates for sobriety. If you were a drunkard before and God delivered you from that, who better of a person can God use to advocate for sobriety, to tell others that they can be free from it? Those who have experienced God's forgiveness for abortion must become pro-life advocates. God can use your story. Those who have rebounded from adultery must use their story to teach others the value of marital faithfulness. When God delivers us from something, whether it is evil spirits and infirmities or some lifestyle that was offensive, God wants to use our story to help other people experience victory in their lives as well. That's exactly what these three women did. They, used, they allowed Jesus to use their story. They provided for him. They served him out of their own means. I want to say to us this morning that Jesus has gifted women to serve just as he has gifted men to serve. Now, I'm not going to wade into the argument of whether Women should be leaders or preachers in church. I'm not going to go into that argument at all. 
I'm not even going to talk about who is right on this issue or who is wrong on this issue. That is not the point of this message this morning. But I will say that God pours out his Holy Spirit on both men and women. And he equips us all with abilities to serve him by serving his church. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. I want to say to us also that there should be no such thing as a lazy Christian. I like that well. There shouldn't be. Nobody in our midst this morning should sit on the gift and abilities that God has given them if the church is suffering in those specific areas that you gifted. There should be no, thing, no such thing as a lazy Christian. I believe that you should be bombarding me every Sunday in the hallway telling me that you feel that you're gifted in some way and you want to be deployed in that area to serve the church. <laughs> wow, boy. You, you, on the one hand, you said amen, and then the very next sentence, you became very, very quiet. I believe that Katie Wade should be hearing from some of you that you want to enlist in serving in the nursery. I, I believe that Pastor Ben should be hearing from some of you about helping him serve with teens and young adults. I believe that John Crisp and Stan Graber should be hearing some of you say, hey, I want to help out in sound. I believe that Rhonda should hear some of you say, hey, I, have, I can sing, or I can play. Um, I want to sign up to help you on Sunday mornings. God knows, she does it every single Sunday. Yes, yes. I believe that Greg Hall, who heads our trustees, should hear you say, hey, there are little projects around the, house, around the church that I can get involved in. I can help paint. I can, I can do stuff. Because, you see, it takes many hands to run a church, not just the paid staff. Paid staff alone can't do it. It takes many hands to operate a church. We need your hands. And when Jesus changes your past and rewrites your story, it is so that you can use your giftedness to serve him by serving his church. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. Your past need not define you. Not when Jesus rewrites stories. So I want to challenge you with four things this morning. I want to challenge you, first of all, to acknowledge your past. Remember that I said we all have one. So if we all have a past, then why not acknowledge it? That means that you agree with God about your past. Whatever you have done or has been done to you, acknowledge it. Don't be in denial about it. Don't stuff it or stifle it. But acknowledge it before God. This is what the Bible calls confession, where you agree with what God says about your past. And so a confession is something that you make with your mouth. But this is only the first step toward receiving God's forgiveness. Confession must take you one step further into what the Bible calls repentance. And what repentance is, is that it is an 
inward disposition which manifests itself outwardly. So you feel within yourself remorse and contrition about what you've done, and then you move one step further by telling God that you're sorry about what you did, and then turning away from it. When you do this, God washes you from your past so that it no longer defines you. Can I pause here long enough this morning to say to you, because I really believe that I'm speaking to some persons this morning who need to really identify with this point. Acknowledging your past, asking God's forgiveness, turning from it, and asking his help in rewriting your story. So let's take a, a few seconds. And while I lead in praying for you, why, why don't you just pray from your heart that God would in fact help you in this particular area. Let us pray together. God, thank you for dying on the cross to take care of our past, whatever we have done or whatever has been done to us. God, thank you for making it possible that we can be free from our past, we can rise above it, and we can allow you to rewrite our story for your glory. I pray that even now, Lord, you would be rewriting stories right here in this room and online for those who are watching us, that somebody would be able to rejoice today over sins that you have forgiven and transformation that you brought into their lives and freedom you've given to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge you to embrace your present. And so the person who has been forgiven by God has been given a new status. The, scripture, the scriptures call that being in Christ. In Christ. God himself has declared you righteous not only has he declared you righteous, but he in fact says to you that you are now the righteousness of God. I want to say to you this morning that you can't earn it. There's nothing that you can do and no amount of money that you can, you can pay that will make you righteous. God has to impute that to your account. He has to impart it to you. He has to give it to you. He has to declare you righteous, which he does on the basis of your faith. And I want to say to you this morning that you can be righteous even though it doesn't make sense to you. You don't have to feel like you're righteous to be righteous. It is simply because God declares you that way based on your faith. So embrace the righteousness that God gives you in the present. I want to say to you thirdly, step into your future. Your future having been washed and made righteous, your future must now be one of service to the one who has delivered you and rewritten your story. So if God has delivered you from your past and if he has given you a present that declares you righteous and you have stepped into that, then it means that you must allow him to rewrite your story and your story now becomes one of service. Service. That's how you express your gratitude to God. So I want to ask you this morning, 
to, this is just some, some exercise that you will involve in your, by your own self. This is something that you have to hold yourself accountable for. And so there are some notes on there that you actually fill in. What gift do you have that you can use in serving God's church? You need to go ahead and identify that gift. What area of gifting um, has God imparted to you that you think you can use for serving Brown's Chapel? Brown's Chapel. And then secondly, I want to ask you this. Are you currently using that gift to serve your church in any way? Here's where you have to be brutally honest with yourself now. And then thirdly, what do you need to do to begin to use your gift to serve God's church? Please answer those three questions very honestly. Because I believe the way that you answer that, answer those questions, can determine how vibrant our church becomes moving forward. Because now you're going to be using the gifts God has given you to serve his church. Here's the fourth and final challenge I want to give to you this morning. Tell your story. Tell it. This is what we call in church circles a testimony. A testimony. Your testimony is your truthful account of what you were in the past, how Christ changed your life, and how you intend to live a life that pleases him. That is your story. Everybody has one. You can have a testimony. And you know something? Your church needs to hear you tell your story. Your small group needs to hear your story. Your neighbors need your story. Because the very way that God helped to rewrite your past is the very way that they too need to hear how God can rewrite their past for his glory and for his honor. I want to ask you this morning, will you tell your story? Let's pray together. God, how grateful we are this morning that you have rewritten our past. Lord, how grateful we are this morning that the sins of our past have been forgiven and forgotten. You have cast our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and you do not remember them against us. We're thankful for that. Lord, we know that the enemy constantly tries to make us slaves to our past. He constantly wants us to believe that we have not been forgiven. Thank you for the reminder this morning that you have washed us. You have sanctified us. You have justified us. You have declared us righteous. Lord, help us to step into our future with you, leading us forward, enabling and empowering us to serve you and to tell our story for your glory and honor. We ask your blessings upon us, in Jesus' name.